Welcome to Real Assets, Real Expertise, a podcast brought to you by Crestbridge. It's the place where we explore the world of real estate. Introducing your host, Stephanie Workman. You're listening to Real Assets, Real Expertise. Welcome to the latest episode of the Real Assets, Real Expertise podcast by Crestbridge. Today's guest is Sarah Hayford from The Land Collective. The Land Collective is an award-winning commercial awareness and career development platform, which aims to engage more young people with the built environment sector. So Sarah is the perfect guest to talk to me today about barriers in attracting and retaining talent to the real estate industry. Welcome, Sarah. So, Sarah, welcome to the podcast today. It's great to have you on. Um, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and how the Land Collective came about. Yeah, sure. Um, so I come from sort of like a commercial real estate background in retail. Um, so I was previously an assistant estate surveyor for the food and beverage brand Wasabi um, before quitting and deciding to take the Land Collective full time. Um, the Land Collective actually had fairly humble beginnings, I'd like to say. Um, I started it when I was a university student like many moons ago and I just thought I wanted to go into a new sector I wanted to explore things a little bit more career-wise but I just didn't know anybody um who had done it like personal like family friends mommy and daddy went in the profession that kind of thing and I found it quite difficult to learn about the sector and to you know get internships and work experience and things like that and I also just didn't see many people like me when I did get into the sector when I did start doing work experience and things like that um so the land collective basically came about because I wanted to help change that I wanted more people like me um from working class backgrounds uh, from different kind of um races and ethnicities and actually more women as well to provide commentary on the profession to talk about it more to get more involved and that's how the land collective actually started off. It actually started off as a student blog. Oh, awesome. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, it was a student blog when we first started and it just kind of snowballed over the years into what it is now, just more an employability and social mobility organisation for young people. Cool. So what would you say its sort of core objectives are then? I think at the moment um, we're focusing around kind of three main things, um, which is around education, um, so trying to teach more young people about the built environment and its importance. The second one is about employability and opportunity. Um, so we work with employers to provide things like internships. Um, we advertise graduate programs and things like that so that they can get directly involved. Um, so joining our community isn't just about, you know, resources and learning, but it's also about how can we match you with the right opportunities and actually get you in as the profession. And the last one is actually more about advocacy. And that's the one that we, that isn't really talked about a lot um, outwardly by us, but we essentially want to make more kind of responsible citizens as well for young people. So when young people kind of join us, some of the events that we run and things like that are more more around how to advocate for your community and your area. Um, Because young people, as we all know, they're quite a hard to reach group when it comes to things like planning consultations and the wider kind of matters of development and they're not really kind of included in that conversation so we want to kind of tell them you know instead of just kind of watching your area change and not feeling like you can do anything about it mm-hmm. why don't you actually 
get involved and we can teach you how to you know properly advocate for yourself your area your family and get involved in these things because that's kind of how it starts and Mm. I feel like young people we've realized that they just don't think they can get involved in these things and they very much can so yeah Mm. there's a kind of like our three main pillars (laughs) that we focus on it sounds it sounds like a lot of it is just challenging people's perceptions um, from either the employer's side down to the employee, down to the prospects. So um, you've mentioned those sort of core objectives and uh, I'm guessing they were driven from what you have observed as the biggest hurdles. But what would you say the biggest hurdles and barriers are for diversity um, within the property industry and the built environment at the moment? I think one of the things that has been an ongoing issue is just industry visibility. So we've been actively working on that front to try and make um, Sightwood property actually more visible um, because I think people know it from like, oh, you know, you can sell houses, the estate agency side, but even then people don't really know the ins and outs of that and they maybe don't even respect it as much as a profession, I don't think, as well, which is a big issue. So we've been trying to kind of break down those barriers and really try and make it so that the young people that interact with us know that this is an option for them. Um, Because I think people Mm. hear property and they're just like, oh, I don't even own a house. Like, how can I get into property? How can I, they can't (laughs) connect the dots. It's it's not like something like law, for example, where you're just like, oh, I want to help people. I want to become a lawyer or I want to become a doctor because I like caring for others. It's not, it's not really like that. People kind of, they kind of disassociate from property a lot of the time, even though they interact with it every single day. Yeah. I find that people who aren't in the industry, they often think when I say I work in real estate, they assume that I'm an estate agent. Um, yeah. And I think that that's quite a common misconception um, from the younger generation as well. I think that's uh, the the idea that people think that's what property is limited to and the real estate industry is limited to when there's just so yeah. much more to that. And um, it sounds like from what we were saying, that you're accessing all different layers and, and aspects of the industry and kind of opening them up. What else? Are there any other sort of barriers? Yeah, um, so I think alongside industry visibility is also this um, kind of ongoing conversation about retention and like lack of role models as well. Um, So essentially, like one of the reasons why I started this, as I mentioned before, was I didn't really see a lot of people like me in the industry. And I wanted to see more of that. Um, but, you know, once we start kind of introducing more young people into the sector, if they don't see people like them or who come from where they come from in senior positions. You know, it makes it difficult to like they can't really see themselves there either. And then that's when I think other things start to kick in and they end up leaving or they end up going yeah. to another sector or things like that. So I definitely think that retention piece is just as important as the attraction piece like trying to get people in it's also how do you actually keep people around in the sector too Mm. and then I think one of the last things actually just going back to that attraction point is actually just bias in general um, but especially around gender Um, because one of the things that I actually experienced um, recently was I wanted to go back to my old high school and do a talk about property, um, the built environment and how to kind of get into the sector and the opportunities that are available, uh, just my general kind of spiel. Um, And I went to a girls' school um, in northwest London and super diverse um, area, 
and things like that. So I just thought, oh yeah, they're gonna say yes, and it's just gonna be it's gonna be simple, it's gonna be great. Um but it wasn't at all. Uh, my the careers lead at my old school actually just said, Oh, we don't think our girls will be interested in property and the built environment. And I just thought Wow. Why not? <laughs> and um he ended up kind of mentioning other areas like, Oh yeah, they're more interested in law or medicine or pharmacy or things like that. And I'm just like, well, it doesn't really matter what they're interested in at that point, because it's still all about career education. Like they still need to know that there are options available and learning that and having that experience really kind of um, showed me that there's still a lot of bias in the sector. And, you know, people just think, oh, girls aren't going to want to put on boots and, you know, get dirty in construction, but it's not all about that. There are lots of different avenues in construction that people can go into. If it's, even if it's not more like bricklaying or the trays, they can go into quantities surveying, which is more office based, project management. So like, you know, commercial surveying, there's so many options. So I do think- Even law, you know, real estate law. Yeah. There's like so many things that they can do. So I think, you know, the bias, gender bias, um, industry visibility, but also that retention piece. They're like different kind of bottlenecks along that journey. But I feel like until we start really working on those issues, diversity is always going to be an issue um, mm. in the sector somewhere. Did the school come around in the end? Did you manage to convince them? Um, not yet. I'm still, I'm still trying to convince them, but that's not wow. the only school we've heard that from. No, really? Um, actually, so, yeah, so it's not the only school that we've heard that from. Um, I just think that sometimes you know, we just have to put our biases aside <laughs> and really just think about the bigger picture. And the bigger yeah. picture here is those kids need to be educated about their options, all of mm. them, even if they might not seem interested. It's, it's super important. They still need to be told that it's there. Because yeah. people forget that it's there. So you mentioned about um, sort of the hurdles around attracting talent and you touched upon the retention piece being particularly difficult. What can organisations do to improve staff retention at any age, would you say? I think by just honestly listening, I don't think there's enough of that going on. Um, and I think it's also just considering that they're not just, you know, working for you, but they're a large part of your business. Like you wouldn't have a business if you didn't have employees there. So I think keeping them happy is quite important and actually making it more, making their career journey more of a collaborative effort as opposed to stuff that they only have to focus on by themselves. So actually helping them along that journey, having those, um, is it maybe bilateral catch-ups to make sure that they're on track? If they wanted to get promoted, okay, how can they do that? Who can they speak to in the company? How can they continuously learn at their company or outside? Can they go on to mentoring programs? Can they go on leadership courses? Those are the kinds of things I think would be really, really helpful for people on that journey. But aside from that, people need to feel safe first and Mm. foremost if they want to stick around and if there isn't that psychological safety element there maybe there's kind of workplace bullying or there's like a toxic culture companies really need to look inwards at issues like that and think okay maybe it's okay for me but if I was a Asian woman or a black woman would I want to work here because hmm. I think people it can be very difficult for people to think outside of themselves 
and outside of their experiences. And, you know, I always kind of use this example of, you know, if you don't drink, maybe if you don't drink for religious reasons, but part of the company culture is going out every Friday. And yeah, you always say that you can just come along and not drink or you can have lemonade or something. But most people just don't want to be put in that kind of situation where they have to justify them not drinking to somebody, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like trying to do those little things that can make people feel more safe in your company is really really important and you know just having the systems and processes in place to make sure that if they don't feel safe you know how can we change that how can we you know improve your well-being here and that's like a really important piece because there's just so much going on over the past few years really racism all that kind of stuff um and yeah psychological safety is at the heart of all of that that's the heart to keeping people around yeah i think that sometimes um employers are looking for sort of the magic wand answer of how they can improve things and what they need to do to improve their retention when actually looking at the basics you're so right I mean you can bring in all these amazing mentoring initiatives and other initiatives but if that basic level of safety isn't there and employees don't feel like they can voice their concerns in a safe environment then the rest of it's kind of pointless isn't it um so that's yeah that's such a good point um and you mentioned when we spoke previously about apprenticeships and um and other things have you seen a trend towards that what would you say the benefits are yeah definitely I think more companies in the sector are starting to look at apprenticeships as another way to get um more young people into the sector which is brilliant, um, but it also comes with its challenges as well. Um, I think a lot of companies can be utilising apprenticeships, but they don't understand them. And there's a mm. lot of kind of um, jargon and lots of moving pieces. So if you aren't a massive company who has a dedicated team um, towards apprenticeships and early talent recruitment, it can be quite difficult to navigate. Um, we found um, when we kind of ask companies who don't offer apprenticeships, as a route, they always kind of say it's a bit difficult and I think we don't really know what we're doing. Mm. Um, so I think that more companies could be utilising apprenticeships definitely because it's a great way to really get in at the grounds and start from the bottom really and to get more kind of school-aged children into the sector and knowing how your company works, knowing how the industry works. Uh, but it is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, especially if, you know, we've got to do the day job as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I would say, you know, if if you are a company that has been thinking about it, maybe collaborate with other businesses that um, can bring in apprentices for you and do kind of like that legwork for you until you can grow your business and get a bigger team. Because I think sometimes um, companies do think that, OK, I can hire an apprentice, it would be great, but they don't actually have the time to dedicate to that young member of staff and they're just coming out of school yeah they don't know a whole lot (laughs) of anything it's a lot of work Uh, they only really have yeah they only really have their skills and you know taking the time out outside of your day job to train somebody at that level is a lot of time and it's a lot of work um so I think companies also have to be quite honest and with themselves if, if they can do something like that or not for sure and when we spoke previously you said that there, you've observed a trend across the industry where you get a school leaver or a graduate come in, they do their two or three years, and then they tend to move on. Are there any other 
tricks or hacks that you could, that you've seen to improve sticking power? Is there anything that uh, the Lang Collective can do? Um, I think it, it definitely does go back to that retention piece and about feeling safe and feeling like you you're actually wanted in your company. There's a place for you and that you feel like you can professionally develop there. Um, I think we're at a really um, interesting point because now kind of more Gen Zs are entering the workplace. It will be Gen Alpha. I think it's Gen Alpha afterwards, something oh like that. Okay. Um, and we're having lots of millennials already in the business. So it's just like we all have very differing opinions, like when it comes to the workplace, how long we stay. I know most of my friends said that's like three years at a company. I'm out. I'm going somewhere else. I need to get more money. I need to get more perks. I need to get more benefits. That's how I want to build my career. So I don't currently know anyone like my age who's been in the company for like five, six, seven years. Um, so it's just like, it's, it's quite different from how things were usually done before. Um, but I also think maybe what's not exactly helpful is, um, other members of the industry who are a lot more further in their journey also telling these juniors that that's what they should do. Mm. Um, so I think that can also play into it. I think sometimes it is just about looking at who's above you and who's done it. And if they said, Hey, go somewhere else after two years or go somewhere else after you've gotten qualified, after you've gotten your APC, then that's mostly what they're going to do because they don't know anything else. Mm. Um, so I definitely think for companies, it is a bit of a tricky one for graduates who have just graduated, just kind of finished their APC in terms of them sticking around. Um, but I think it just still goes back to that feeling safe. Do they feel wanted? Is there a place for them there? Do they feel like they can grow and develop in their team? Are you supportive? Are you providing the right opportunities for them to grow their career? Are you giving them that constant feedback, you know? So I think it all kind of comes back down to that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it can be still very difficult if everyone kind of just says two years, I'm out, I'm moving on. Yeah, exactly. I think knowing that you've got that path ahead where you can progress, I think is a big uh, attraction. But I think one of the things that's um, made me stay in my role for so long is it wasn't even necessarily a direct line manager, but it was people um, above that level who took the time out to check in with me and be like, hi, how are you doing? Just like at the, in the kitchen, grabbing a cup of tea, just invest a tiny yeah. bit of time into your younger people or new people. I was young back then, <laughs> new people in the business yeah, and it makes them definitely. want to stay because they feel included and they feel like companies care about them. Um, it's all about people yeah, at the end of the day. I think that's true. Absolutely. And I think that's maybe something that the bigger companies really struggle with um, because there are a lot of members in our community that have gotten onto brilliant graduate schemes and one of the things that we constantly hear when we can do our check-ins with them is that they just feel like they're one of like 50 yeah. or one of 100 on their cohort like there's so many grads that come in and they're kind of just refined to their own kind of cohort and then their team like it doesn't feel like there's anyone in their company kind of looking out mm. for them apart from maybe their graduate recruitment manager and things like that but they just feel like a number yeah. in their company and that makes it a lot easier for them to <laughs> to kind of leave after they've gotten qualified yeah. and maybe go to a smaller outfit or go into a specialty consultancy or something like that so I think the bigger firms definitely have um 
that kind of challenge on their hands. It's they hard. need to make sure that people actually feel welcome and they're part of a family. Almost. It is hard. <laughs> Even though I, I hate that term, but <laughs> it's hard. The smaller firms, it's easier to be to say hi on the stairs or if you see each other in the lift or give a little nod, oh, hi, how's it going? But if there's thousands of you, it's how on earth are you supposed to do that? But I think if you're a director listening to this, like a quick hi, how are you? If you see a graduate or a postgraduate, will go a really long way um, than if you were to blank them. So you might be doing yourself a disservice if you don't, you know. <laughs> um, so specific to the Land Collective and your sort of day-to-day objectives and, and what you're doing um, regularly, what, what are you doing to improve the diversity and social mobility in the sector? Yeah, so we have a very kind of targeted approach when it comes to reaching out to kind of schools colleges and universities to work with and for their kind of students to join our network and in that so when it comes to universities we usually go after universities that one don't offer real estate or the built environment courses as a, as a degree um, because we feel that talent can come from anywhere um, it doesn't have to come from if you just study real estate or property or surveying or whatever it can come from absolutely anywhere um, the schools um, we target ones in more deprived areas, um, specifically kind of like under academies, um, some free schools. Um, and we try and target ones that also don't have dedicated career leads um, because we feel like they are those schools that honestly do need more support um, in this front in terms of getting employer relationships. And by that, I mean, you know, their career lead is their geography teacher or their head of English or something like that and they are doubling up um, because there's not enough funding to go around for that kind of thing so we kind of help and support those schools in that way Um, and we go out we give presentations and very interactive ones Um, so I don't really believe in the whole going to speak at students for a whole hour Mm -hmm. um, about your life I'm also trying to gear it towards okay how do you interact with the environment every day um what do you see when you go out on your high street what do you like what do you dislike what would you change um and that's like a really great way to get them involved and they're not just kind of sitting there listening to you talk about your life from when you left university to like what you're doing now um and teenagers have a really kind of short attention span anyway so (laughs) (laughs) we try and make it really exciting for them when we go into schools and make it as interactive as we can get them talking um, so yeah, we do a lot of that, but the university um, side of the piece is particularly important um, because I actually studied politics at university as my first degree okay. before doing a master in real estate afterwards. So that's why I feel very strongly about giving students the chance to move into the sector from somewhere else. Yeah, um, because you can get so much different perspectives um, by doing that, and you think very differently um, as well when you come into the sector. Um, and we also try and target universities that aren't in the kind of golden circle or the Russell group. And by golden circle, I mean, not your Oxford Brooks, not your Reddings, um, not your UCLs. We target other universities as well. Um, maybe ones that are a bit lower down in the rankings, because usually we found that those students also feel like, oh my God, I didn't go to a Russell group. Like, who's going to want to hire me? I'm just like, well, lots of people actually. (laughs) It's all about your skills and (laughs) what you can bring to the table. Um, So yeah, that's kind of how we target um, that approach. 
And when it comes to working with employers, um, we host lots of employability programs throughout the year. Um, one of our more recent ones coming up is our um, virtual internship program, which will be running for the third year, uh, which is super exciting. Cool. And we also do kind of direct recruitment on behalf of employers as well. So what's a virtual internship then? Yeah, so the virtual internship was something that I kicked off during the pandemic. Like, was oh. it the first, the first lockdown, I think it was. Um, yeah, I just remember that because I was on furlough um, from my job. And every day on, like, on LinkedIn or just through Industry Buzz, I would see that um, the larger companies were stopping their internships for that year because they just weren't sure on what to do. And they were also kind of halting their graduate intakes for that September. And I just thought, oh, that's not good. Mm. Um, so I decided just to create something. I just kind of woke up one day and just decided I was going to create something with my team. Wow. And we managed to get quite a few companies involved. And it was just like a whole bunch of online workshops, activities and talks about the awesome. sector. And we did it for construction and real estate, um, commercial real estate. Um, and it was brilliant. We had over 600 students ch- chime in over the course of kind of three days, which was insane. That is insane. Um, That's I didn't so expect good. it to get that, that kind of number. Wow. <laughs> so it was, it was really, really interesting. And, you know, the students got a certificate at the end and, um, they were talking about it on LinkedIn and stuff like that. So we've just been trying to kind of emulate that year after year. Took Amazing. a bit of a break last year, but now it's coming back this year, which is really exciting. Amazing. So have you got anything else planned? Anything new creative like that? Or are you just keeping an ear to the ground and responding as needed? <laughs> um, so we also have our first pilot school employability program this August. And it's basically going to be for black girls um, in London from working class backgrounds who are in year 11. Um, so very, wow. very specific. Um, but again, there's just not a lot of representation for black women um, in the real estate sector. So that's something that we want to try and change at a very, very young age. Um, so year 11, they're just finished their GCSEs. They're going off to college or they're not really sure what they want to st- study or do next. So it's prime time <laughs> for yeah. us to kind of get in there and say, what do you think about property? Um, so we're going to be doing a week long um, summer school in August with um, a few different employers and it'll just have lots of sessions, workshops about the sector, um, site visits as well, which is super important. And we just hope for the end of that week that they'll have a more renewed sense about the sector. Um, A lot of them um, in their application so far have mentioned that they love selling Sunset, which is really great, (laughs) I guess, (laughs) for a first entry into the sector. Definitely. I mean, I think Selling Sunset's done a lot. It's done more than... <laughs> yeah. It's better Fantastic. than nothing. Um, but oh. yeah, so we're hoping, we're hoping to show them around kind of some resi projects, some mixed-use projects, some commercial projects, get them on site as well to see the kind of development process going on and things like that and really kind of immerse them because it's those kinds of opportunities that change perspectives. Yeah. Um, more than just reading about things online and hearing people talk. If they go out there, they're seeing it, they're doing it. That's kind of what moves markers there. I know that was the case for me. And I always kind of tell, you know, employers that I speak to, it's just, and just young people in general, it's hard to know what you want to do unless you've tried Mm -hmm. it. And unless you've been exposed to that kind of sector before. 
Um, and I think that that's kind of like a key pressure point that lots of young people have. They're just like, oh, what if I get into it and I don't like it? I'm like, well, if you don't try, yeah. you, you won't know. <laughs> so, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Just give it a give go. It a go. To lose. If you don't like yeah. it, maybe. Yeah, you've got nothing yeah. to lose right now. So it's that's a really, really good thing. And then second to that, we have our ESG launch pad. Um, we launched that for the first time last year um, in collaboration with ACOM and DTZ Investors. And we also had other companies involved, such as Savills Investment Management, Zoopla, um, Sage Homes. And that was all about getting more young people and graduates interested in ESG from a built environment perspective. Um, so it was an eight week long um, blended program, both in person and virtual, where they just learned about the fundamentals of ESG in real estate and the built environment. So what is building an ESG strategy? What is governance anyway? Why should I care? Yeah. What is greenwashing? Um, you know, things like that. So it was a really brilliant program. And the core aim for that program was actually the fact that we noticed that Again, the ESG space isn't very diverse either. Um, but also lots of people were kind of just falling into ESG because it's still fairly new and evolving. Um, so they've either come from kind of CSR or they've come from sustainability or they've maybe come from recruitment backgrounds. But we kind of want to lead the way in making ESG in the built environment an area where young people can say, I want to go and do that. Yeah like off the bat yeah. <laughs> when they graduate yeah. kind and of not thing, something so. they've fallen into so so what kind of level is that course aimed at what um what kind of age um so university students and recent cool. graduates well really excited to hear about both of those because they sound like amazing initiatives it sounds like you guys are really responsive and just create programs where you see the gap and um so yeah very excited to hear how that goes and what you do next um thank you my next question was, what can employers do with partnering with the Land Collective with regard to school visits? Um, has there been much feedback and take up from the industry so far? Can like employers offer um, any kind of resource to you? Is there anything they can offer or work with you on? Yeah, so there's lots of different ways that we work with employers. Um, so we do a lot of direct recruitment as well. Um, so if you need, if you're a smaller company or you're finding a particular graduate role kind of hard to recruit for, we support companies with that and we advertise it within our community. And because we collect quite a lot of great data on the students, what they're interested in, where they would like to go, what events they've been to of ours in the past, we are really well placed to actually match the right students with the organisations as well. Um, and we also do more interactive things like site visits. We do, we try and do on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. And that's just giving our members of our network the opportunity to again, go out and see what's out there and see what's being built, who buy, who's involved. And it just gives them, um, a better insight into the industry, especially if they're not already studying real estate, which most of our community aren't. So that's like different ways that employers can get involved. We also do the program and employability piece. So if you are interested in joining our ESG program or our virtual internship, then you can always kind of get in touch with us. And we're always always kind of reviewing our program offering to make sure that it's in line with what our community wants as well. Because it's all well and good kind of us just saying, oh yeah, we're going to launch this program. But 
if they don't actually want it or they don't feel like it's relevant, <laughs> they won't take yeah. it up. Um, so there's lots of different ways employees can get in touch um, with us and collaborate with us. Um, but I think that one of the barriers, well, I wouldn't really call it a barrier, but one of the things that we've um, kind of faced over the last few years is that sometimes employers kind of have this perception that they think they can do everything um, on their own and that they have to do everything on their own. Otherwise, you know, like why we want to collaborate um but partnerships can go a really really long mm. way especially when this is like this is our bread and butter young people early talents you know developing early talent that's like what we do day in and day out that's what we know so if you are a smaller company and you don't have that kind of resource internally you can partner up with organizations like ours or I think there's other ones as well, like Career Ready, for example, that do similar things or SEO. So there's lots of different ways that you can maximise your impact and get more young people looking at your company and really kind of get your brand out there by partnering up strategically with other organisations like ours. So there's there's lots of really great things to do um, out there. And you don't always have to do it alone. Mm. And I think that's like a common misconception that lots of employers have. They just think, OK, well we want to do this on our own, but it might, it might take years yeah, to do it on your own. <laughs> you know, you can get further together. <laughs> I like that. So with all of these various initiatives that you guys are running, how do you measure, measure success? Do you have a way of collating data? Um, is it important to you? Yeah, data is super important for us. And I think as an organisation, like, um, we're at a very, very amazing part of our journey because now we're coming up to six years um, in running from June. Um, so we're now at a point where we've actually seen the full life cycle almost of students who have joined us from the very beginning when they were at university, maybe it's first year or second year. They've gone through, studied different things. Some of them didn't come from a real estate background and then studied the MSc in real estate. Others came from a real estate background, have gone straight into the industry. They've done internships. They've taken part in our programs and they've done all of those kinds of things. So we're now able to see the full kind of life cycle of how that plays out. And that's just been a, a really incredible thing to see that we've been around that long. So now that we can actually see that progression take place. And now we, we have like a whole load of testimonials mm. that we can now share with employers yeah. from students that have basically like we've intervened in their kind of career journey and they've seen the benefits of that through coming to our events through coming to our site visits taking part in our programs and that's been really really exciting to see um, but program wise we collect as much data as we can um, you know we try and see kind of where they end up in a year a year's time two years time you know, if it wasn't for our program, were they, were they still able to get to that place? So really asking ourselves those important questions because we are a social enterprise at the end of the day and impact and data are really massive parts of what we do and how we can communicate with people to join our kind of cause and our mission. Um, and we also collect data on our membership as well. So most of our members are from BME backgrounds, are working class, we're almost at an equal gender split, which is amazing as well. And, you know, so things like that, we try and collect as much data as possible um, just so that we can communicate that with employers. I think that transparency is super important when it comes to things like this. And if you're not measuring 
it's very, very hard to then, you know, make up targets and, you know, things like that. And you can put out all these bold statements and how you want to address a lack of diversity and a lack of this. And But if you're not measuring from the outset, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to do that. Um, so we're trying to lead by example there and, you know, be as transparent as we can. I don't think I've asked you, but how many people run um, the Land Collective? How many are in the team and how many members do you have? Um, so we're quite a small team. I think we're just under around 10 people at the moment. So still very, very small, very close knit. Uh, but our members, I'd say we have over 300 members Amazing. at the moment. There's quite a lot of us. <laughs> There's quite a lot of like active ones, I mean. So ones that actively come to our site visits, take part in our programs and things like that. Um, some people are now in the industry, but they're still part of the network. Um, and they try and, you know, give back their time and volunteer, um, and things like that. Some of them are on our board because we also, we have our board of advisory people and we want to make sure that we always have our ear to the ground. So some of the members, some of our members who have taken part in our programs over the years are now sitting on our board. Um, so that's really, really important because they're graduates in the industry now and they can tell us what's going on. (laughs) So that's really, really important because now I'm aging out. I'm nearly 30, so I'm not as young as I used to be before. Don't. I was told I'm too old to join a next-gen committee the other week, and it was a very humbling experience for me, so... Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) With London being a hub for international talent, is the property sector missing a trick with the talent pool? Are there any untapped resources? Um, Any hints and tips for employers? Yeah, definitely. I... So... In our community, we have a lot of international students as well who have made the move to come to UK and study with the name of sticking around afterwards and contributing to our sector and our community and our economy, which is amazing. Um, but they, their experience is very, very difficult. And, you know, naturally we, we do realize that, you know, priority is with our domestic students and talent and graduates, which is fine. Um, but I do think that employers could be doing more to accommodate international students and graduates when it comes to the recruitment process. I do not think as a sector, we are transparent enough with our opportunities and what's available for international students. And by that, I mean, um, a lot of our sector don't sponsor visas at that level, um, which is, you know, I guess that's that's fine. Um, But I feel like more employers need to be more transparent about that fact so that international students aren't going through your entire process to just be told that they can't enter your company because they can't sponsor their visas. Um, It's just, it's just unacceptable and it wastes so much time and already given the fact that they have to report into the home office and things like that, they have a lot of people to report to. It relates to their progress and, you know, how their job search is actually getting along in this country. So if there's anything employers can do to kind of help that along and save them time, that would be very, very helpful. Does that happen a lot then? <laughs> it does happen a lot. And it's very frustrating for our members um, because they kind of come and they're just like, well, I've applied for this many companies. I haven't got in. And because most companies also don't give feedback because of the amount of applications, right. it's hard for them to know what went wrong um, in that application. So... I my first question is always okay where did you apply and most of the time I can I can easily very easily see that 
these companies just don't yeah sponsor visas yeah <laughs> so it's just like you know if companies were a lot more forthcoming about something like this it would save people a lot of time yes. um because a lot of people are going through these processes and the graduate recruitment process is not short most of them are quite long they have tests assessment centers things like that so if you can make that sifting exercise mm. a lot easier for yourselves but also easier for the students that need to go through it it would be very useful yeah. and alternatively if you do sponsor um visas um in the sector you know try and be more outward about that as well so that people actually yeah. know um communicate that to university career departments for example so that they're also aware um we kind of did the painstaking work of just emailing a whole load of companies in the sector and just saying, do you sponsor visas? Do you not? Um, we need this information because the government guidance on this is ridiculous. And yeah. it's just a website full of like tens of thousands of companies that just usually aren't even relevant oh, <laughs> to no. um, what the students and graduates actually need. So we're trying to make it easier yeah. for them as well. Um, because especially when you think about, you know, different geographies where people are coming from, it, their experiences are going to be very, very different. Um, so we're trying to make it easier for students across the board because it's a real issue that they're having. Okay. Good to know. Um, so looking back at the last six years, what would you say the lessons learned are on your journey so far? I think I've learned a lot of things, like a lot of like hard lessons, but also just, yeah, things that I've just, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of lessons learned. Um, I think that one of them is to ask for help. Um, throughout, I, I've always had an issue asking, with asking for help ever since school. Like, I would just sit there and struggle in class because I just, my pride just did not let me raise my hand and ask, like, for support from teachers and things. And I've kind of taken that into my adulthood, which is just not great. Um, but I've definitely learned to ask for support and help before you need it, really, actually. Um, so you're not kind of operating from a place of, um, <laughs> kind of scarcity. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really supported me. It's really helped me grow the land collective as well. Cause at first I thought I could do a lot on my own and I can do a lot on my own, but I can get there a lot faster with other people. And, um, that's one of the things I've learned. I've also learned to, take on board mentorship um and really open myself up to that kind of experience i have quite a few mentors actually which is and they're all kind of for different things or for different areas of my life and that has really taken me to the next level i think um i think that lots of people think that they don't need a mentor mm. or they think that mentors are only for a very specific area of their life but mentors can come in so many different shapes and forms and they can really support you um, when you need them to. And I think that's like a really important thing that I've learned in my journey. Um, and I think the last thing is just more about in actually believing in myself and what I'm trying to do. I think in this journey of having this organisation, I've had lots of no's. <laughs> I've had lots of, oh, that's not a priority or, we don't really agree with your assessment or, you know, we don't really think that that's important for us. And that can be really humbling um, in a lot of ways. And I think in the very beginning, I took a lot of those things very personally. And I've had to kind of learn over time that it's not a personal thing. It's just they just don't um, align with what you're trying to do. And that's OK. 
Uh, not everybody will. Um, so I think it's just, um, I know it sounds very cliche, but just believing in yourself and what you're actually trying to achieve here. Because it can get very hard sometimes um, on this journey of having a business or having like a social impact cause or organisation that you're working for. And with social impact, because it's so, usually it's very connected to your own personal experiences and your frustration. So it can feel very, very mm. personal and very, very, you know, close to home which is why it gets really hard sometimes. But I think it's just kind of going back to why you started. And I think, yeah, that's very, very important. And that's been keeping me going. And yeah, just remembering all the good moments <laughs> that you're having in this journey. So a lot of the time I just get random messages from members in our community saying, oh, I've, I've got a job today. Oh. Or, you know, I've got, or I've met this person or from coming to your event, I've managed to do this. And it's just, it, it's really nice. That's so good. You've got to count <laughs> like, those wins. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, it's lovely. And um, it's good to see that the work is actually having an impact, you know. Um, it's not just like in my head. <laughs> so Absolutely not. It's really, really good to see. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and then, what would you say your predictions are for the future of the built environment and what's next for you guys? Um, I definitely think a lot more focus on ESG. I'm hoping to see a lot more ESG related programs pop up and I hope that they do. Um, I hope that we were one of the catalysts for that, but I think it'll be a great way for employers to really get ahead, um, especially if they're trying to build out that core area of their business. Um, I think prop tech also like we are trying to do more things related to the technology side of property and construction um to move more in line with what's going on in the industry at the moment and more of our network want to see those kinds of um those kinds of connections um because traditionally when we, we're mostly focusing on just the commercial residential side of things but not really delving more into the tech and um how things are progressing in that area so we definitely will be doing more things on that in the coming years um but other than that focusing just more on employability programming definitely um as an organization that's where we've been seeing the most success like we, we do think that students need these opportunities in real estate and in construction particularly because when we look at um i don't want to call them competitors but you know other players in the market who do similar things so your bright network your seo London, they usually don't have built environment centered pathways. It's usually your law, your finance, your banking, your engineering. So I feel like that, that place is kind of ours to kind of curate and build up. And, you know, students really love what we're doing with our employability programming. So we're going to be doing a lot more of that for sure. Excellent. Where can our listeners find out more about you guys? Do you have a website? Do you have? Uh, LinkedIn account, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, so we're pretty much on everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can search for us on LinkedIn or you can just visit our website, thelandcollective.com. Um, it has all of our information on there and how to get involved as an employer or as an individual, volunteering your time, that kind of thing. There's lots of different ways to get involved and we're, we're always running lots of things throughout the year, um, which are always really exciting and yeah if you just if you align with what we're trying to do um, you're all about giving back and you know trying to make sure the next generation um is learning about the sector and you know we want to help diversify the sector then 
with a place for you come along and join us on our journey perfect <laughs> well Sarah thank you so so much for coming on the podcast today I've really enjoyed listening to all the work that you're doing um, and the team which isn't the biggest team you're doing a hell of a lot so um, <laughs> thank you for your time and um, yeah I'll speak to you soon you've been listening to Real Assets Real Expertise a podcast from Crestbridge presented by Stephanie Workman To find more episodes of our podcast, go to our website, crestbridge.com, or where you usually download your podcasts. For more information on how Crestbridge can provide a range of services to support your real estate structures, visit our website, www.realassetsrealexpertise.com.